everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 70 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about The Dark Knight Rises on your So That's What That Feels Like podcast. I'm Andy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. So this was film 119 for this year. Um, if no one is, or if you're not aware, I am trying to watch 365 movies during 2018. Um, I am slightly ahead of myself. I watched film 122 last night, so I am now a third of the way through the year uh, in just under about two weeks shy of a third of the year having actually passed. That's just awe-inspiring to me. <laughs> I cannot imagine <laughs> watching that many movies. It's a lot of movies. Some good, some less good. <laughs> um, okay. I'm also uh, doing a blog and uh, podcast only 10 minutes each week just talking briefly about each of the films I've watched. So if you want to follow me, uh, look me up on Twitter. Uh, it's at Matthew Bowes. Or look up Matthew's Movie Mentions. That's the podcast and blog I bring out each week. Like I say, just my thoughts and reactions to each of the films as we go. <laughs> it's pretty great. And I love that you're doing this project. <laughs> we will see when we get to December. Because I'm worried I'm going to get there and be like, oh, God, I've got 80 films to watch in a month. <laughs> Considering you're averaging well more than seven a week, I, I don't think you're going to have that problem. Yeah, I think it's 8.1 a week at the moment, which is okay. I will, right. I will stick to that because then when I take a holiday, I'll catch up on myself. There you go. All <laughs> right. <laughs> so The Dark Knight Rises, um, we covered The Dark Knight... Oh, like a year ago now, a uh, very long time. So mm-hmm. it was a good time to return to this. Um, how come you haven't watched this or, or the others in the first place anyway? Well, originally it just ended up being that I didn't have the time because I actually, I bought Batman Begins and I bought The Dark Knight and I just never watched them. Like I wanted to, just never really got around to it because apparently I have this mentality where if I own something, I don't have to watch it because it's always going to be there. And so I have to watch all of the things that might get taken off of Netflix or might get taken off of Hulu. And so that's why I never watched it. And then we watched um, The Dark Knight last year for the show. And then I just wasn't allowed to watch the next one until it was time for us to do this episode. So it took a little while longer to get there. Okay. Um, The Dark Knight Rises is the third and final installment in Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. The studio wanted a third film released in 2010 or 2011, but Nolan refused to rush because he needed to feel invested in the story. While he started outlining the story in 2008, it wasn't until February of 2010 that it was announced he was actually committed to returning to the story. Due to the success of Heath Ledger's The Joker in the previous film, studio executives pushed for Nolan to use the Riddler as primary villain since he was a similar character. They even encouraged the casting of Leonardo DiCaprio for the role. Nolan, however, refused because he wanted someone completely different from the previous films. He committed to using Bane because he felt there was a need for a character with a physical presence in the film. He compared Bane to a classic movie monster with a brain. Finally released in July of 2012, The Dark Knight Rises received positive reviews from critics. Rotten Tomatoes has given it an 87% approval rating for more than 300 reviews and said The Dark Knight Rises is an ambitious, thoughtful, and potent action film that concludes Christopher Nolan's franchise in spectacular fashion. The Telegraph gave it 5 out of 5 stars and said that it is a superhero film without a superhero, comparing it with The Godfather Part 2 and praising Hardy's performance as well as the film's intricate plot and narrative. 
The Guardian gave it four out of five stars, calling it a film of granite, monolithic intensity, yet also calling it a hammy, portentous affair. And Roger Ebert gave the film three out of four stars, stating the film begins slowly with a murky plot and too many new characters, but builds to a sensational climax. It was a box office success, bringing in over $1 billion worldwide on a $350 million budget. And I think I read that this was the first IMAX movie to top a billion, and it was unseated by Age of Ultron, I think? Yeah, I think for the amount of footage they'd made in IMAX format. Right. Because Christopher Nolan became a big uh, proponent of it. He... Uh, shot a lot of it on IMAX cameras. He destroyed an IMAX camera in the shooting. And then he invited lots of other directors to come and see what he was doing because he wanted this to kind of continue as a technology. Right, right. Hmm. Okay. Well, if you haven't seen The Dark Knight Rises, though I imagine most of our listeners probably have, um, it's about uh, how Ra's al Ghul's daughter has daddy issues because he doesn't like her boyfriend and decides she must destroy Batman and Gotham City to honor him after his death. But I believe Matthew mm. takes issue with that, so... Yeah, I'm not... When you say has daddy issues, and she's doing what she's doing to honour her father? What, yeah. what, do, what do you mean, daddy issues? What is that? <laughs> well, I mean, she after he exiled Bane, she left too and never spoke to him again and didn't want to have anything to do with him until Batman killed him, and then she decided, oh, I must avenge his death. Well, she she goes to follow up his plan. She wants to destroy Gotham as her father wanted to. And the bonus is she gets to take down Bruce Wayne. Maybe I misunderstood her motivation, but it sounded like she decided to destroy Gotham and destroy Batman because that was what her father wanted to do, and Batman killed him. And so in his death, she was both avenging him and honoring him. Maybe I misunderstood, which is entirely possible because a lot of this movie did not make sense to me. Yeah, I, I've always taken it that she is continuing the work of the League of Shadows. And their last work was to try to destroy Gotham. The fact that Bruce Wayne and Batman are there so she can she can also have her vengeance, that's a cherry on the top. Hmm. Okay. That's Honestly, that's not how I interpreted it. So it, it would make for a better movie if I had interpreted it the way you did. I, I may have enjoyed it a little more. Okay. So, Matthew, how, how did you watch this one? Um, do you own this trilogy on Blu-ray? Yes, I've got the Christopher Nolan collection. So it's got all three of these and Inception and Prestige and Memento. Okay. It's cool. a good collection. How did you watch it? Um, well, even though I'd never seen it, I, I did actually own it. Because I, I found them on sale a couple years back and decided to buy them all. And then never watched it. <laughs> Um, and I actually, I should have looked. I did not look to see if it's available streaming anywhere. Okay. Um, so we've got a couple of new people in this, particularly uh, Tom Hardy and Anne Hathaway. What's your experience of them? Uh, Tom Hardy, I was surprised at how little I've seen him in because his name is just so familiar to me. People talk about him a lot. Uh, but it turns out I'd only ever seen him in Sucker Punch, which is a god-awful movie, and Inception, which is a wonderful movie. Okay. Yeah, you're missing some pretty good films in there. Um, yeah, I have I, I know we've got Mad Max Fury Road on the list, mm-hmm. uh, and that is one of his greats. But, but generally, he's, he's a good person to check out in a film. Uh, well, I guess we will see some of those on the list mm-hmm. later down the road. <laughs> 
Um, Anne Hathaway, I'm much more familiar with, um, going all the way back to her Princess Diaries days. Um, so Princess Diaries, Ella Enchanted, The Devil Wears Prada, she was in Les Mis, she did Brokeback Mountain, Interstellar. Um, I haven't seen as much of her more recent stuff, but she hasn't done a whole lot okay. super recently. Um, but yeah, she's definitely somebody that generally, if she's in a movie, and I'm going to want to watch it. And so if I haven't listed it, it's probably because I'm just unaware that it exists. Right. Okay, so having now seen the trilogy, what did you think of The Dark Knight Rises? Well, <laughs> I was disappointed in The Dark Knight Rises because I really enjoyed Batman Begins and I really enjoyed The Dark Knight. And then this movie was so different, I think, that, and it wasn't what I expected. So I just, I didn't really enjoy it. And it was a chore to get through. Okay. Can you, can you speak to why on any of that? I think the primary thing, and and it took me until the movie was over to really be able to articulate this. The if you look at my notes, like I mean, I did have because this movie is so long. I had over a hundred thoughts in my thoughts doc, and a lot of them, particularly early on, is who is Bane? Why is he here? What is he doing? I don't understand, and. They never really explain who Bane is and what he's trying to do. All we learn, and we learn from Alfred and Batman, that he's clearly from the League of Shadows. And they assume he's trying to take over Ra's al Ghul's mantle. We later learn that's not true because Miranda Tate or Talia is behind all of it. And so we don't learn who the actual villain is until like the last... 30 minutes of the movie and so everything leading up to that had no clear motivation and so I didn't understand what was going on or why it was happening or why we're just watching a movie where this guy randomly decides to stage some sort of villainous revolution in Gotham City and and on top of that we had the whole Batman like redemption quote-unquote redemption arc coming back he was arguing with Alfred who leaves him and so it just kind of felt like we had five different storylines going on at one time that were not interconnected and were completely irrelevant to each other and so it just it was hard for me to follow it kind of started to make a little more sense when the reveal about Talia Algol was made at the end but I felt like it wasn't enough of a payoff to justify the rest okay. of the movie Okay. And I think there's a lot of this in the detail that you might not have picked up on the watch through. Mm -hmm. So about how uh, it's the, the other businessman, John Daggett, who has hired Bane and the whole sequence of he's trying to take over Wayne Enterprises mm -hmm. for reasons. Um, I, I think there's a mix there of uh, the, the typical capitalist thing of just trying to take over and accrue more power, as well as knowing there's this reactor that could be good or useful so it's got the the business element of it going on, and that's that's why Bane has been brought in, so that he can basically reduce the wealth or, or the money in that Bruce Wayne has, and take it over at that point. But the point that we learn much later on is that Bane is also a tool of Talia Al Ghul, who is trying to bring down Gotham and uses that as the start of it because she can use the uh, reactor that they've created to basically level the city. Okay, so then I have a question, though. You're, you're saying that Daggett brought Bane in to help reduce Bruce Wayne's wealth. 
But Daggett reduced Bruce Wayne's wealth by having Selina steal his fingerprints and then use that to tank all of his stocks. He didn't yeah. need Bane for that. No, that's that's the bit that Bane does when they go to the stock exchange and oh, take over the stock exchange. <laughs> okay, that makes a little more sense now. I was confused because <laughs> yeah, the whole sequence. The discussion between Alfred and uh, Bruce is about how uh, Bane helped take over uh, a gold mine or something or some sort of resistance. Mm-hmm. And because that's how they are able to link him to Daggett because that was Daggett's hiring of him that did that. And that right. he's then brought him to Gotham. Okay. That, yeah. that helps clear up some of the fuzziness I was having. It's still feels a little convoluted but okay so can we talk to bane as a character um you said that they wanted someone a bit different from the joker to come in and, th- and this is it's kind of different but also not a hugely different story what did you mm-hmm. make of him as a character as the villain of the piece honestly at first i was intrigued by him and i wanted to know more about him and i'm disappointed that we didn't really get more I had a really hard time with his voice, <laughs> and I think that's just a personal thing. I know I think a lot of people thought the way they did his voice was was excellent, and it just bothered me. It kind of felt like a Sean Connery knockoff a little bit. Okay. But as a as a character himself, we did finally learn a little bit of his motivation. You know, because he was Talia's protector when she was young and helped get her out of the pit and that sort of thing. But they never really explain what the people did to him that made him require the use of that weird mask. And the only explanation we got for the mask was it holds the pain back, but they don't tell us why. And so for me, that's not enough information. I wanted more. Okay. Um, I think he's crazy, kind of like the Joker was. He definitely carried some of that. Oh, I don't even know what the right word is. But some of that um, untethered arrogance, I guess, is a good way to put it. I'm just leaving you speechless all kinds of ways today. Um, well, okay, so the well, the thing with the mask, when he helps her out of the pit, we see the people taking him and utterly trashing him at that point. And, and when Bruce is in there, they talk about how the doctors fixed him but left him in continual agony. And so the mask is, I, I think it's meant to represent the sort of a constant application of a sort of anesthetic to dull the pain so we can deal with it. Okay. This is someone who lives with that constant pain. Hmm. I, I'm not sure there is any more to get other than the fact he's too more he's too extreme for the League of Shadows, which is why he's excommunicated there. So that's kind of telling us and setting up, okay, this is someone who's quite extreme. And we do get that. He's sort of speechifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I give it back to you, the people. <laughs> and trying to seem like <laughs> such a, a benevolent comer to, you know, the anti-1% sort of thing. Um, right. But actually, he is just looking to destroy the city. Uh, his whole speech about, you know, there can be no there can be no despair without hope. So he's giving them hope, even though he's going to destroy them anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I quite like that. It's an interesting take on it, but we spend a lot of time doing other stuff, so it never quite lands. Yeah, I did like when he was talking to Bruce about, you know, why he was locking him up and making him watch everything. He did that whole speech, you know, where he said, I learned here that there can be no true despair without hope. So 
As I terrorize Gotham, I will feed its people hope to poison their souls. I will let them believe that they can survive so that you can watch them clambering over each other to stay in the sun. You could watch me torture an entire city. I thought that was different than what you would normally see from a villain because ordinarily in a villain you're just like the villain wants to take 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 and kill 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 and in this one he was very clearly toying not only with Bruce Wayne but with the city itself mm. the people of the city you know it was definitely kind of a cat and mouse game and that was interesting to me so so it lands for you that it is this thing of it's uh, kind of months that they go through this and living under the fear of the bomb and all the prisoners out on the streets. Yeah, I think that part did. I feel like just this movie was so long that it had a lot of really unnecessary stuff that could have been taken out. And that's why I'm struggling with it a little bit. But it did have some things that I liked. I liked the story with um, the new cop I can't think of his name other than Ro- all I can think now is Robin, <laughs> uh, whatever his name was. <laughs> I liked that story. I liked that he immediately knew that Batman was Bruce Wayne. Um, I liked that he and Commissioner Gordon bonded. And then eventually that bond was slightly broken when he learned the truth about Harvey Dent. You know, there there were threads of story that I really did enjoy and some of the relationships that occurred. It's just it was surrounded by so much extra stuff that just felt over the top that I had a hard time with some of it. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, so, uh, and and part of the reason for asking that is because this is a film that's hamstrung by its source material somewhat. The the wanting to use Bane. Bane is famous for one thing, that he broke the bat. He he smashes Batman over his knee and breaks his back. And, And in the comic Nightfall, he leaves Batman a paraplegic. And that then leads to other people taking over the cowl and so on. Um, and eventually magic and Batman's back on his feet. When you, <laughs> okay. when you introduce Bane into a movie as the primary antagonist, you're pretty much saying we're going to do that moment. We are going to break Batman's back. And at that point, you're like, okay, well, you've got to have months of rehabilitation then and, and him getting back to full strength. So we've got to have some story that covers that span of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe let's have a bomb that's deteriorating, or you know, a nuclear reactor that's deteriorating that will eventually explode. But it gives us that, whilst we've got a time component, it's a very long one, so we can rehabilitate Bruce Wayne and get him back into it. But I sort of wish they didn't, because, like you say, that's a lot of wasted time doing something because you're using a villain that you you almost have to. Because of that source material, you have to do the breaking of the bat. Mm-hmm. I don't think that works as well on a film. It's good in a comic because you can have issues and issues of other stories and things going on. But when you've only got two to three hours, you've got to expedite it somehow. And they don't. They just jump several months. <laughs> yeah, they they definitely do that. I had I had a hard time following that bit a little bit because, well, one of my questions was, is it really realistic that Bruce Wayne would heal that quickly um, because the first time we see him walking and doing push-ups, it's like day 64 on the TV. And then they ju- like they jump again to him trying to make the jump. And then they jump again to him once again trying to make the jump to get out of the pit. And so they did try to show the passage of time in there. It just wasn't done 
super well. Yeah. Um, the I mean, the he, main he is thing, Bruce Wayne, so he is supposed to be exceptional. Right. Um, I think the main thing that showed passage of time was just showing the snow on the street, and all of a sudden everybody's wearing much mm. heavier clothing when they're outside and, and that sort of thing. Otherwise, you wouldn't know because they never reference time or seasons or months at all. Yeah. Okay, so before I lead you down the garden path too much with my thoughts, what would you change or take out to improve this film or or to shorten this film at least? Well, let me ask you a question first. Okay. Um, Because I think this is still something that I'm fuzzy on. So the first time Bane and Batman meet in this movie, it's when Selina brings Batman to him and Bane instantly kicks his ass and breaks, breaks his back over his knee. Did did they explain, and I just missed it, why Bane was specifically going after Batman at that point? No. Uh, again, it's slightly informed. So, so Bane was basically invented in the 80s in this, um, or for this strip called Nightfall, where he decides uh, to, to take on Batman as like the ultimate test. But because he is also quite smart and very strategic and tactical, he basically unleashes every villain Batman's ever faced on him over the course of it might it, I don't think it's quite a night but a very short time and he just wears Batman down so when he finally comes for him Batman is no challenge and, and he does defeat him as easily as we see here so it's being informed slightly by these are two alpha males okay well and now that I think about it though I also realize that he, Bane knew that Batman was Bruce Wayne yeah um, so I guess that could have been part of it as well since he was brought in to bring down Bruce Wayne Mm. Mm. okay what would I change what would I take out again Mandy and Matthew fix a movie (laughs) 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 um I oh god I don't know I think I probably would have taken out all of the Harvey Dent stuff I would have referenced it, but not had it continue to keep coming up over and over and over again because it was irrelevant Hmm. to the actual story that was being told here. It was like they just kept wanting to remind us, oh, yeah, Batman took the fall for Harvey Dent and the people don't know. Oh, yeah. You know, I feel like they told us that over and over and over again, and I wish that hadn't been included. Okay. Um, I think (sighs) some of... Catwoman stuff I would have taken out, especially when we we kept getting scenes of her at home with her little sidekick friend, which we didn't need any of that stuff. We didn't, I honestly don't think we needed to see um, Bruce Wayne starting to fall for Miranda and then have Miranda be the the villain at the end. Okay. Like, I I think that added a level that, that didn't need to be there. And then I think there was just too much fighting. It just, it seriously got to the fighty fighty kick kick point to me, and it was just fighting for the sake of having an action scene on the screen. Mm. Um, and then you know what? I got really upset over the conflict between Bruce and Alfred because I felt like it came out of nowhere. Okay, so we discussed this f- a good amount in the Dark Knight episode mm-hmm. because I knew what was coming. Uh, for me, I would never have made Alfred burn that letter. Right. I think that's a really weird thing, and it's mainly there so they can set up this conflict. But but it didn't set up this conflict. That's the thing, though. 
they were already fighting and Alfred was already telling him, I'm going to leave and I'm not going to help you. And then Bruce says, well, I have to because Rachel. And then Alfred says, well, what if there was a letter and I burned it? Yeah, it's it's his so, nuclear option at this point. The last, right. last thing he can do. But but he had already said, you shouldn't do this, and I can't support you doing this anymore. And to me, that felt completely out of character. Because he had been watching Bruce basically disappear for the last eight years. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was a shell of a human. He wasn't himself anymore. And the Alfred who loves Bruce is going to support him being Bruce. And so it felt like it just came out of nowhere that he was saying, okay, well, if you're going to do this and you're going to fight Bane, then I can't. I can't be, stand here and watch it. And then he leaves. Yeah. And and I don't, honestly, and I don't even know what that did because he was already driven to fight Bane. So learning the truth about Rachel, all it did was make him want Alfred to leave. And, and so I don't know, unless you can tell me or you can tell me what you think, I don't know how it furthered the story that we were being told in this movie because it didn't change anything. I think the reason it's there is to add drama, um, but also to stop us going, hey, why is Alfred not getting him out of the pit? Like, if if you okay. leave him with sidekicks or people helping him right. when he's in the pit, that's the thing there, so... Mm. Okay. Well, then they, sh- they should have done it better. How about that? Okay. <laughs> okay, so, well, that leads us into the thing I changed to cut out 15, 20 minutes of this film. I would lose the pit. I would utterly not put Batman in there. I think that is a a very large waste of time. Mm -hmm. And I'm never watching that going, oh, Batman's going to die down a pit and never get out. (laughs) There there is no point in this film where you think, oh, well, he's stuck now, isn't he? Right. Whereas if he was at home being cared for by Alfred and, and Bane had disgraced him in front of the town had had clearly broken him so and everyone knew batman was out of it now and he had to rehabilitate himself and it was him against everyone's opinion of a batman who was defeated then you can still do some of that but you don't have like you say the the poor conflict with alfred and you don't have all this time <laughs> him in a cell doing push-ups yes i think you are exactly right yeah. i think that would have change enough that it, one it would make more sense to me and two it wouldn't feel quite so unbearably long mm. because this movie is two hours and 44 minutes long and that is a lot of bane and people killing each other <laughs> but it's interesting you weren't except for the fighting maybe but you weren't taking out bane's stuff what what bane does it seems like worked for you or was a good enough addition to the film to be worthwhile having yeah, I guess when I say it was a lot of Bane, I mean it was a lot of people doing Bane's orders. Mm. And that was the part. So Bane himself, like his lines, the things that Bane does for himself, I appreciated, I think. But so much of the movie was people following Bane's orders and like making his plan work. Mm. And those are the things that I feel like went on forever. Right. I can't think I can't think of any of them specifically to say whether they're worth removing or not. I think they are still important because it is a very elaborate and very clever plan that they put into place. It's it's one of the things I I enjoy about this film is it's actually got some good 
sort of villains' plans in the same way the Dark Knight did. Um, and a little bit in the way that Batman Begins doesn't. <laughs> They're going to fry a chemical in the water by using a train. Okay. Right. Okay. You know. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I guess I just have complicated feelings about this movie. And I think it, it's almost good you coming to it this way. There is another film on our list that is obviously not the same story. But it's kind of the same story, someone that's that's split in two ways, taking on a city or committing a crime, but at the same time having vengeance on our protagonist, which I'm hoping we're going to be covering at some point this year, so I won't go into it, but... Okay. I think it does it better because it brings the two stories together better. The vengeance against Batman and the destruction of Gotham are, by and large, two very separate stories. Right. I think that's why I ended up confused through a lot of the movie and I didn't really understand what the motivation was and how they fit together. Mm. By and large, I would have liked them bringing the stories together more neatly other than it's Batman who wants to save the city. Mm -hmm. Actually have whatever they do to Batman have an impact or, or have some way that he can reverse it to then use it back at them. Because in the end, it, it ends up very video gamey of punch him in his mask and that's how you defeat him. <laughs> Shoot the glowing spot to take down the boss. <laughs> right. Yeah. That that last fight was almost comical. The way it was very, very pulled straight from the pages of a comic book. Yeah. Uh, we did get some feedback from several of our listeners. And I think... There are other people out there who also have complicated feelings about this movie, like I do. <laughs> uh, but there are other people who also really, really enjoy it the way Matthew does, which I think is awesome that we can all have our own opinions. Yes, our friend Alan, who is at Chipper Allen, said, I really dislike how the character of Gotham is inverted. In the first two, Bruce believes that the people of Gotham are basically good and worth saving, while the villains believe they are evil at heart. This time, Bane is right. Gotham goes post-apocalyptic easily. Mm, I'm not sure. Because it is the criminals being let out on the street that really goes for it. Because they've locked everyone up over the years under a falsehood. Mm-hmm. So it's people trying to do uh, trying to do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. Or the wrong thing for the right reasons. Whichever way around that works. Um, but I think we do get the... The, the two armies clashing at the end. So we have the people fighting for good, and we have the the guy who eventually, you know, Matthew Mildine puts back on his dress blues and goes and uh, faces Bane's army. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think kind of what happened after... I mean, Gotham does go post-apocalyptic pretty easily um, and, and pretty quickly, but I think why that happens is because, like you said, all of the people got let out of jail, all the villains got let out of jail. And so the good people of Gotham who were worth saving went into hiding. You know, the entire Mm. police force was trapped underground. You had people like Matthew Modine's character hiding in his house with his wife. Like, he wasn't out in the world participating in anything. You know, you had all of the children hiding. So the, the, the good people of Gotham, we just didn't see them because they were scared. Mm. And it was all of the people who were making it go post pop post-apocalyptic were Bane's people, the people who were let out of prison, and the people who thrive on chaos. Uh, we even get to see uh, Catwoman. 
getting an apple back for a small urchin boy um, and beating up two thugs. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and, and so I'm not sure that, that I think Bane is right, but I do think that that is what they were trying to show us. I think that's kind of what Christopher Nolan wanted it to feel like all of a sudden that Gotham is no longer the city that's worth saving, um, especially since Batman's not there. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and again, that's why it would have been better with a, a more public defeat of Batman by Bane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I'm taking that a little bit from the source material, but part, that's partially what he does. He shows, like, I have beaten the bat, so I get to rule over this as my domain, because I am the best. If we'd seen that here, you could have seen the people giving up hope, because Batman is supposed to be a symbol of hope. Right. Yeah, you know what? I think that you're right. I'm thinking about it now. And at the point that Bane breaks Batman, the people of the city still don't know that Batman is a good man. They still think that he's the one who is responsible for murdering Harvey Dent. Hmm. And so at that point, Bane does break Batman, but he's not breaking the symbol of hope for the city because that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah, in some ways. You're right. Batman coming back is almost a surprise to them because he's been gone so long. They're not factoring on him coming back, I, w- I would expect. Right. Maybe maybe they have a plan for it, but it's not in the, the you know guidebook. Yeah, honestly, if I had been a citizen of Gotham and seen him come back when he did, I would have been like, well, where was he the last five months while this was going on? Hmm. You know, why is he coming back now, like right when the bomb is about to go off? I understand from the movie's perspective, it's drama and climax and conflict, but, you know, it just... Yeah. I I think it could have been done better, and your way is better. It it misses a step in there, doesn't it? So... Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, We also had our friend Kate at Inferior Kate. She said, I generally think Christopher Nolan is a hack who can't... Who doesn't (laughs) understand how not to fridge women. Also, this movie was predictable and terrible. Anne Hathaway was amazing. I wholeheartedly agree that Anne Hathaway was amazing in this movie. Hey, hey Kate, why don't you tell us what you really think? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think this comment is interesting, though, because I don't see a woman who got fridged in this movie. Uh, no, but before this came out, there was a very famous article about how he fridges women in all his films. Which is uh. a, a little hard, because... I think the example from Batman Begins is Martha Wayne. Like, I'm not sure well, you can blame okay, him no. for that. Um, no, you can't. It's, it's also the prestige, which is and is not his material. But when you come to um, Inception and you come to The Dark Knight, yeah, he mm-hmm. very much fridges the women in that. Um, oh, absolutely. So um, he he definitely did in in The Dark Knight. I I don't remember enough about Inception. Honestly, uh, Le- Leonardo, was... Di- yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio's whole mental state is because his wife is dead. Ah, so okay. and and we get to see her die four times during the film. <laughs> like... Wow, yeah, I I clearly don't remember that. Yeah, and it's <sighs> you know he makes films about men from men's perspectives, so fridging is not a good way to do it, but it is always a trope that gets relied on in in the same way we do uh, superheroes and their parents. Yeah. Yeah. Always, always superheroes and their parents. Mm-hmm. I think, is there a member of the MCU crew who, like on the Avengers, who doesn't have an issue with their parents dying? Um, 
I don't think so. Drax. Drax is his wife. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. And, and it's either we don't know, like they don't have parents or we just don't know about their parents or their parents died and that's fueling what they're doing. Yeah. Wow. Doctor Strange 2, he became a surgeon because his father needed surgery and no one was good enough to do it. <laughs> okay. Interesting things to think about. Mm. It's it's a real show, and it's particularly watching the Arrowverse every week as well, because that very much does parental issues too. Mm-hmm. <sighs> <laughs> Why don't you tell us how you really feel, Matthew? Yeah. <laughs> and actually, because you've, you've watched Flash in previous seasons, haven't you? I think you're not yes. up to speed this season, pun right. intended. Um, <laughs> but because Zoom did the Bane thing to Flash a year or two ago, he broke Flash's back and then held him in front of the, the gathered police or the gathered TV. Oh, yeah, I think he took him to the TV station and showed, you know, I have beaten your symbol of hope. I will now take over right. this city. It's a thing you do when you want to break mm. a superhero. <laughs> I, oh, I think that was in complete homage to Bane. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't have picked up on that since I, I had no idea who Bane was mm. at all before I watched this movie. Um, I had never even heard of him before this movie. And then all I knew was that he was Tom Hardy in a weird, creepy mask with a weird <laughs> voice. Yeah, I know stuff. Okay. Um, we also had Brandon at Shoe Size 38. He said, That stadium scene is unreal. It's so well textured, and the noise of Bane through the mic is quite memorable. Gotham! Take control! Take control of your city! Honestly, the only thing I remember from the stadium scene was my pure incredulity that Gotham City has a football team and their colors are yellow <laughs> cool <laughs> okay Brand- brandon is it just ut- felt out of place <laughs> brandon is utterly right that is an amazing scene um it, i think it was the first thing i knew about the film because there was a lot written from the extras who were there filming it um okay and th- there is video of people up in the bleachers, up in the stands, while Spain is on the field giving his speech. Um, and there's, like, lots of comments and speculation of who the other people with him are, because they can't, they're so far away, they can't actually see them. <laughs> um, okay. And there, there was even a, this was why we expected Robin to be in the film, because when they, there's some people in the stands holding up the rogues, letters for each of the rogues, the Gotham rogues, and the R is in the style of Robin, the, the modern Robin's R. And it's like, oh, that oh. that's an interesting touch from a director who is so concerned with detail. Okay. Yeah, see, I also, I read um, an article, kind of like interesting facts that you never knew about The Dark Knight Rises. And they went through and kind of talked about all of the detail that was in the movie leading up to like the Miranda Tate reveal. Mm. So that if you were really immersed in the source content and were really paying attention and kind of understood the world, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been quite as much of a surprise. And I think I always really enjoy it when a director puts in that level of detail. But I wish that I knew enough about the source material to have recognized it because it completely went over my head. Even like, like you're saying the R for Robin completely. I would never have noticed that just because I wouldn't know to look for it. Yeah. 
And, like, it's nice that they do make elements like that in there for super fans, because otherwise people who really, really enjoy Batman things won't get much out of this. It's mm-hmm. kind of kind of the same way for Star Wars. They they trashed all of the existing canon to make the new films, because they said, otherwise, what's the point in making the new films? Everyone's going to know what's going to happen, so let's start again. I can I can understand that, because you want to make it exciting and interesting for everyone. And also, like, the thing they do with Talia, you know, the fact that the two of them sleeping together... That is very much in keeping with how Talia has been told for the last 20 years of she's kind of the love of his life, the perfect partner for him who has a child with him. So, Oh, see, I had no idea. My only reference point for Talia is Arrow. Okay. Is the Talia Algo we get in Arrow. Yeah. Um, And even then it's mostly Anissa. We don't get much of Talia. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, again, it's, Um, it's it's a... last few years introduction for Batman but his son Damien that he has uh, with Talia although she doesn't tell him until he's like 10 so (laughs) wait are you saying that Damien Dark is Batman's son no I'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) Um, and finally we had a comment from Paul at Mampers 84 he said meh the only thing memorable is Bane's voice and the football scene but there are potholes and continuity errors you can drive a Batmobile through. Like, how does Bruce Wayne escape the cave and get past the bridges, for one? And I'm really glad he brought that one up, because that's the one that really pulled me out, was how did he get onto the island? Like, how did he... All the bridges were essentially destroyed, except for the one that the the army was, like, keeping people off of. So how did he get back into Gotham? With nobody knowing. You know that he's Batman, right? Yes. (laughs) Like, he can do a lot of stuff most people can't do. Okay. So that's the answer, because he's Batman. Yeah, he he repelled across the bridges and under the cover of darkness. (laughs) Who knows? Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay, I'll let it go. So, um, is there anything you enjoyed in this at all? I, I did. I really, really enjoyed Anne Hathaway's performance as Selena Kyle Mm. and Catwoman. There was nothing that she did that I didn't like. I mean, there may have been some story elements that I didn't quite appreciate, but Anne Hathaway was amazing. So, yeah, so Anne Hathaway is is pretty much my favorite thing from this as well. Uh, Like with Heath Ledger, there was a bit of thing about casting her. Like, oh, how can you cast this princess person? But Mm -hmm. she is pretty perfect at, at, at it. I mean, she doesn't... I can't think of anything she's done where she's had this sort of femme fatale thing going on. But she is really good. Yeah, I think this may have been her first action movie. Is it her only action movie? Possibly. But she, yeah, she's excellent all the way through. She's very, very... uh, She carries that confidence very well that she doesn't normally Mm -hmm. have in some of her... um, Some of her roles. Yeah. Um, Even stuff like when when she does betray Bruce and, and Bane breaks him she's standing there in her suit and you can see the tear that's coming out of Anne Hathaway's eye because she's sad that the Batman is broken Mm. like that's just a a detail that that came from her that I thought was was really good and and she she had that like stoic confidence that you don't often get to see from a woman in a movie like this Mm. usually women are portrayed as over-the-top emotional or hysterical or too on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, too hard and too cold. And somehow she was able to portray this character kind of right in the middle. 
Mm. And I thought that was that was really nice just because you don't get to see it very often. Yeah. And you, uh, you've seen Batman Returns, so you'll know Michelle Pfeiffer's uh, appearance as, as Selena Kyle. It's not mm-hmm. too dissimilar. It's obviously a much more up-to-date with a different background, but she carries it in the same sort of way. Confident, right. not giving a damn, out for number one. And it, and it utterly works. Um, the other thing I really liked, of, of course, is a scene that also does have Anne Hathaway in it. Um, the, the ending, uh, I was absolutely convinced that they really did kill him. Um, I, I should have known better. Honestly, I should have known better. I've seen enough of these kinds of movies to know better, but I really thought they killed him. But then they cut to the scene with Alfred in Paris, you know, and you see him look up and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, he's not really going to be dead. He's going to be sitting there. And then when they show him sitting there, he's sitting there with Selena. And I I really liked that because I know that right now, um, I, I just saw it like two days ago, um, DC Comics released um, like a wedding invitation because Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle are getting married in the current iteration of the comics. Um, and so that was just a nice like parallel thing going on. Plus, I got the warm fuzzy of Bruce Wayne is, in theory, living happily ever after. So you, you utterly take it that, yes, he survived and he's showing Alfred that he's happy and moved on. I do. Okay. I am aware that there is a theory that this is like a dream or a wish from Alfred that this didn't actually happen. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you if you if you had any thoughts. Thinking the way Nolan has done other films, you think like the ending of Inception where it is left up to you. Mm-hmm. I I'm not sure. I kind of think no, he sacrificed himself because he does talk about you know oh I've not given everything not yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the way they shot it, it it could go either way and should be left up to the viewer. But I did read that Christopher Nolan has specifically said no, it was intended for him to be alive. Hmm. Well, he's a hack, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, without that extra textual evidence, you know, just on the movie alone, it, it could go either way, and I see it. But you also know that I am emotionally driven, and I always want to see the happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what I see. <laughs> okay. Um, what about you? What did you like in this movie? What stood out to you? Um, not necessarily from this movie, but I do love the number of memes and jokes that have come out of this movie over the years. For whatever reason, okay. this has been a source of things. So, so Bane's voice, the changes from uh, Bane's voice as it sounded in the trailers to Bane's voice as it sounds in the thing, the way they've done the mask over people who sound different. Um, mm-hmm. There was a thing of some like right-wing you know, an anti-left guy. I can't even remember who it was, but someone who did this uh, neo-Nazi speech type thing was basically dressed as the idiot CIA agent. So everyone started comparing <laughs> him and doing the, the Bane dialogue to him. Um, right. There's a, a webcomic called The Non-Adventures of Wonderella. And at um, even this year at Valentine's Day, she did, um, oh, what was it? Roses are red, turtle does fly. When Gotham is ashes, you have my, my permission to die. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, okay. The big fight at the end between Batman and Bane, I've seen used in a lot of Black Friday photos where people like Photoshop a TV between them and it's them wrestling over a TV. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know why this film, but particularly this film, has had a lot of comedy out of it. And I, yeah. I like it. It's a nice reminder every so often. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. 
Is there anything specifically from the film that you really liked? Um, I, like you, Anne Hathaway is absolutely exceptional in it. Um, I like Bane's plan. I like what he does to the city. I think it is very well realized, particularly that moment where you see he is taking all of the applied sciences equipment and he's going to use Batman's things against him. Right. It is it, it is very well set up and there's there's the, the revelations of the film I think are good as we go through it as it goes okay. beat to beat to beat. Liam Neeson's return is also very good. I know it's absolutely a fever dream, but that was a good addition. I thought he was alive for a second and I was like what is happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> and then he disappeared and I was like, "Oh, okay." One really brief thing that is just excellent is when they come to the Batman statue reveal at the end, the way people mm-hmm. are sat around it, the way there's cameras on either, either side of the statue, it is heavily reminiscent of the Joker's face from the Dark Knight Return, uh, Dark Knight advertising. Oh, I didn't even notice. It, it's really nice. It just comes on screen. It's like a big smiling face, and then the scene continues. But I, I kind of feel like I want to go back and and look at that because mm. that sounds neat. Yeah, hopefully it's just a, a, a little homage to him. I think there's something in the novelization about how the Joker got moved to a different institution or got moved to Arkham or something, so that's why he's not the one who's released. Okay. Well, if you'd like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at EloquentGushing. You can also email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give allows access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and develop other shows. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And you can keep up to date with the latest news and announcements if you go to eloquentgushing.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived where we'll talk about Ghostbusters 2. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And innocent is a strong word to throw around Gotham. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.